with all prayer. What do Christians devote themselves to? Christians devote themselves to prayer. Verse 18 begins with this exhortation to the church. With all prayer and petition, pray. But why? Why do Christians pray? Truly, that is not an easy question to answer. For the Bible tells us that God already knows what we need before we ask him, and yet he still teaches and commands us to pray. The Bible tells us that we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God knows that we do not know how to pray as we should, yet we are still commanded to pray. And God himself helps us in our praying. One pastor said, I have so many questions about prayer that if I were to share them all with you, it could cause you to doubt your faith. Prayer requires faith. I'm not sure we'll ever understand it side of glory, but nevertheless, the importance and necessity of prayer is never in question in the Bible. With all prayer and petition, pray. The reason we pray is the same reason we put on the full armor of God, so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, so that we will be able to stand firm and our struggle against spiritual forces so that we will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Have we done everything if we have put on the full armor of God but have not prayed? Brothers and sisters, we could say on good authority that if we have put on the full armor of God we have done nothing at all if we do not pray. Graham Cole says, the armor of God is not enough without the God of the armor. And prayer is the link holding all together. The armor of God is really useless without prayer because without prayer, I contend that there will be no spiritual conflict requiring it. If we want to avoid conflict of a spiritual nature, simply do not pray. Do not pray. Let ourselves get wrapped up in the busyness of life so that we never have time to pray. Do not pray. Stay focused on ourselves and our own wonderful plans for our lives. Walk in the flesh. Live in the flesh. Don't give ourselves a reason to depend upon God. Do not pray. Be inattentive in life, complacent and distracted. Live for the moment. Don't take anything seriously. Do not pray. Try for a while, then give up. Let prayer go. Move on to something else. Do not pray, especially for one another. That takes work. That takes presence. That requires awkward questions. That's uncomfortable. 
Don't intercede for one another. Stay focused on ourselves. Without prayer, what spiritual conflict will there be? What scheme of the devil is needed? What struggle is there? What are we resisting if we do not pray? And the question tells us something about the reason for spiritual conflict altogether. The devil schemes against what he opposes. That's who the devil is, a rebel, an adversary, an opposer. What does the devil oppose? As we've seen in Ephesians, the devil opposes God. Spiritual conflict is God's battle. It's not ours. And Jesus reconciles us to God. We are no longer enemies, but we have peace with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So if the devil opposes God, the devil opposes all who belong to God. The devil opposes the church's identity in Christ. We are God's own possession, Ephesians tells us, bearing witness to the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. We have been made alive with Christ, raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. As we trust God to maintain that identity as God's people, the enemy opposes that. The devil also opposes the church's unity. The unity of our doctrine the unity of our fellowship. The devil works to divide us. Devil opposes the gospel. The gospel promises that God is uniting. God is summing up all things in Christ by the death, burial, resurrection, and heavenly work of Christ. So the enemy lies, steals, kills and destroys in opposition to the gospel. Why does God allow the devil to oppose him? Why does God allow us to endure conflict, requiring the church to put on the armor we have been given and continue steadfastly in prayer? One answer belongs only to God and it is related to God's timing. You see, God is patient long-suffering. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8, says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. 
One reason God allows the devil to oppose him through this conflict is related to God's timing, his patience, his long-suffering, his not wishing that any perish. Another reason is related to our sanctification. You see, it's good to struggle with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Something about what the church is enduring now will matter for eternity. An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I can't explain all of what that means, but something about what we endure now will matter for eternity, and it is related to our struggling. The armor of God is given for a struggle. And brothers and sisters, prayer is for the struggle too. And in our struggling, God conforms our wills to his will. Jesus gave us an example of this on the eve of the cross. What was Jesus doing in Gethsemane? What was he asking his disciples to do, knowing what would take place? He was praying, and he was asking his disciples to pray with him for the struggle. He was struggling. Luke twenty two forty one 41 says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him and being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Ephesians has helped us to see how struggle and God's timing and God's promises merge together to explain why the church presently experiences spiritual conflict and why Christians must pray. For while the devil is already defeated, he is at the same time not yet thrown into the lake of fire. His opposing work goes on for now. For while the blessings of God are already ours, so that we can speak of them even in the past tense, ours. They are spiritual blessings in heavenly places and not yet fully inherited by us this side of glory. So there exists a tension between what is already and what is not yet. And this tension explains the church's present conflict and longing and hope. We are children of the light in this present darkness. This is the reason for the need to stand firm with the full armor of God to defend what Christ has won for us and ultimately the reason that we as Christians 
pray. Prayer is not another piece of the armor. Rather, as Brian Chappell says, prayer seeks to stir within us the will to use the armor. I like that. Verse 18 begins with this exhortation to the church. With all prayer and petition, pray. That is what God desires for us to do. And now the word tells the church how to pray. Verse 18 again, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Christians pray first at all times. There's something special about praying together as a church when we gather for worship on the Lord's day. That is special, that is powerful, that is needed. There's something special about praying at set times during the day, morning as you wake up, noon, evening before you sleep. But we should not wait until a set time or occasion in order to pray. Rather, pray at all times. Pray at all occasions. God is not sleeping. God is not inattentive. One way we can pray at all times is to simply let the circumstances of our lives dictate our prayers. Whatever circumstance arises in our lives, that is a circumstance that God wants us to depend on him for and to pray about. It is good for us to have a prayer list. It is good to have a systematic way of praying through all that God commands us to pray in his word. But it is also good to pray through whatever is happening in our lives at any given moment. But yet for some reason, we don't think to pray. We think we have to wait until our name is put on a church prayer list or our circumstances made known. No, pray at all times. That's how Christians pray. John MacArthur says, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness where everything we see and experience becomes a kind of prayer, lived in deep awareness of and surrendered to our heavenly Father. Christians pray at all times and Christians pray in the spirit. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. This means that our flesh does not empower our prayers but the Spirit empowers our prayers, makes them effective, makes them heard. The Spirit gives us strength and power to pray when we have not strength or power. This means our prayers do not start with us. Our prayers start with God. This means our prayers do not even start with our life circumstances. Our prayers instead are conversations with God as we look for God in all of our circumstances. A God consciousness, as MacArthur says. This means our prayers will be about God's will being done, not our wills being done. Pray scripture back to God. Pray about the things the Spirit convicts over. Sin, 
righteousness, judgment. Let's pray about the things that God cares about. Warren Wearsby draws attention to the illustration of this principle given in scripture of the Old Testament through the tabernacle and the altar of incense. The altar of incense was a small gold altar standing before the veil. And here the priest burned the incense. The incense is a picture of prayer. It had to be mixed according to God's plan and could not be counterfeited by man. The fire on the altar is a picture of the Holy Spirit. For it is he who takes our prayers and ignites them in the will of God. We can only pray in the will of God with the Holy Spirit's flame, empowering, igniting. And the Holy Spirit is always pointing us to Jesus. So praying in the Spirit ultimately means praying in the name of Jesus, according to God's plan, in a way that agrees with Jesus' person and will, work and purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says, For through him, that is through Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. The church is instructed to always consider the content of our prayers. Our prayers oriented toward giving to God praises, honor, glory, or our prayers looking to receive from God. Self-praise, self-honor, self-glory. The only kind of prayer that is truly prayer is this kind, praying in the Spirit. So as we approach prayer, let us not ignore the Holy Spirit in our consciousness, in our awareness. Let us not ignore his help. Practically, give thought to the Holy Spirit as we pray. The Bible's way of praying is to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 again says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, beyond the alert. Here we are instructed on the purpose of our praying. Pray at all times, pray in the spirit, pray being on the alert. This word, be on the alert, means to stay awake. Jesus says, looking to his soon coming again in Mark 13, take heed, keep on the alert, that's the word, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Christians pray with the same alertness, the same alertness we have as we wait for Jesus' return. We are watchful, being aware. This means our prayers are in tune and in conversation with what is happening in the world and in our church and in our families and in our lives. This means being busy with God's work, not insignificant work. 
We spend a lot of effort on work that someone else can do and will do after us, don't we? What about the work that no one else can do? The work that God has given to us only as individuals to do. Someone else can accomplish tasks, but no one else can be a husband to your wife as long as you live. No one else can be a wife to your husband as long as you live. No one else can be a father to your children. No one else can be a mother to your children. That is your God-given responsibility. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. Life is not about tasks, is it? As Christians, we perform tasks as unto the Lord and for the glory of God. But we live and pray as those who are watchful and on the alert, knowing that at any moment, our Lord may return. And what then will he find us doing? Making sure tasks are done or making disciples as he has commanded. For this reason, be on the alert in your marriage and in your family. The enemy will oppose these while we are busy with misplaced priorities. Christians, let's pray as those on alert, not over temporary or insignificant endeavors that will fade away. Look instead with the Spirit's help for the purpose beyond that work to the work left in our charge by our Lord as we await his return. Christians pray with alertness, which means we avoid deeds of darkness and anything that distracts us from being watchful and able to stand firm. But Jesus is coming soon, like a thief in the night. And so we pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's help and with the Lord's return in mind. Verse 18, again, with all prayer and petition, pray, here's how, at all times, in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance. Pray with all perseverance. This word perseverance has the idea in an ancient inscription of a physician giving himself over to his profession with particular devotion. And as Christians are enthusiastic about praying, we are enthusiastic with the same kind of devotion a person would normally associate with the practice of a craft or a trade. We don't give to others what we don't first give totally to our God as a priority. We are tempted when the road ahead is difficult to give up and to stop, to not persevere. Warren Wearsby again says, keep on praying. And keep praying until the Spirit stops you or the Father answers you. Just about the time you feel like quitting God will give the answer. How many of us know that is true? Lord, how long have I been praying for this person's soul, for this illness, for this difficulty? And it may not be true of all of us this side of glory, but I've found it to be true that often it's when I'm ready to absolutely give up 
that God then answers. Why might that be? It's good to struggle with God. God is doing a work through us. So Christians don't stop praying. The church doesn't stop praying. Some used to call this praying through. Pray through to praise is how I like to think of it. But if we cease, how then will we give God glory as those who have struggled? If we don't pray through, we're just defeated. The devil's defeated. We are not. So don't stop praying. Verse 18 again, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. How do Christians pray? According to the word of God, Christians pray at all times in the spirit, on the alert, with all perseverance. And Christians pray for all the saints. Now, this instruction on prayer turns to the objects of prayer. That is, who should we pray for? Who should we pray for? Who Christians pray for? Pray for all the saints. Who are the saints? The saints are God's people, Christians, the church, and Christians pray for Christians. John MacArthur again says, but just as the Bible primarily calls us to pray about spiritual needs rather than physical, it primarily calls us to pray for others rather than ourselves. Take a sampling of your recent prayers. Who is the object of those prayers? Is it God? Is it others? Or is it you? You've gotten very good at praying prayers for others that are really about ourselves, haven't we? But your brothers and sisters need your prayers. And if you will not pray for them, should you expect that they are praying for you? We are in spiritual conflict together. We need encouragement together. The armor of God the spiritual conflict, the prayers, this is not merely an individual thing. And I think we err if we make it that. As if you and the devil are going to battle. Remember that the battle belongs to God. I'm not God, you're not God. This is all very corporate in nature. Us standing firm together, us united putting on the full armor together, us praying for one another and supporting each other together. For application of this, we should consider whether we might be too prejudiced or segregated in our Christianity or in our ecclesiology. Are we too narrowly focused? Are we praying for just the like-minded saints? What about the saints in the world who likewise profess faith in Christ, but maybe they do something a little differently? I'm not talking about different doctrines that are important, I'm just talking about practices. Do we pray for all the saints? Do we pray for the persecuted saints? You see, Christians pray with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's help 
with the Lord's return in mind, but also with one another in view, considering others over ourselves. Pray for all the saints. Our verse again goes on to verse 19. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Who do Christians pray for? Christians pray for all the saints. And then as Paul writes, Christians pray on my behalf. On my behalf, literally translated from the Greek language is, and for me. Pray for me too. Who is me in this writing? Verse one of Ephesians tells us it is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In praying for all the saints, we pray broadly. In praying for me, who is Paul, we learn that we are to pray personally. Paul needed prayer and asked for prayer. And he asked for specific prayer. Verse 19 says, and pray on my behalf, and here is what he's asking, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Who is that prayer ultimately about? It's ultimately about God. Paul is asking for help so that he might, with boldness, proclaim the mystery of the gospel for God. This boldness is the ability to speak with clarity without leaving anything out, keeping nothing back. And this is because the gospel itself is comprehensive and bold. What effect does the gospel have if grace and salvation are proclaimed without mention of sin, death, the grave, the law? A gospel that does not offend is no gospel at all. I like to think of it this way. The good news is only good because there's bad news. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We see in this request for prayer from Paul that the method should match the message. The gospel is bold, so Paul requires boldness and he asks for boldness he would leave nothing out, that he would preach clearly this mystery. Pray on my behalf. So we pray personally. He has a request. We know to pray specifically. He also mentions being an ambassador in chains. We're to pray empathetically. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, is an ambassador for Christ. We should pray on behalf of all ambassadors for Christ, all gospel proclaimers, preachers, evangelists, missionaries, and really for all of us in our gospel witness. Paul is an ambassador in chains. The chains do not change the fact that he is still an ambassador. 
Nevertheless, he is an ambassador in chains. I suggest this means that we should pray personally, specifically, but also empathetically. Empathetically means to pray in a way that shows an ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Before you offer criticism to the preacher, have you ever tried to preach? Before you ever criticize someone's lack of evangelism, have you ever tried to share your testimony or lead someone to the Lord? Christians pray with a deep, heartfelt concern for others. That's what I mean by empathetically. There's a heartfelt concern there such that if there is no reported update to that concern, we're not comforted, we're uncomfortable. Look at verse 19 and 20. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Ask for prayer, church, personally for you as you're endeavoring to obey the Lord and do his will. The flip side of that is be willing to share embarrassing or awkward things with someone who asks. Even confessions. Make conversations distinctly Christian and deep. Forgo the small talk. Ask for prayer specifically, not generally. I personally do not like unspoken prayer requests. I understand sometimes what people mean when they share that. But oh, church, if we're able to pray specifically for one another, if you feel like you have to share an unspoken prayer request, then go find a group of one or two trusted, faithful people that you can share that burden with specifically and know that you're being prayed for and supported in that work. Be specific. Ask for prayer empathetically in a way that others may understand. This may mean asking for prayer of someone who has gone through something similar as you. They will empathize. In fact, the scriptures say that one reason we struggle and endure suffering is so that we may be comforted of God so that then we may comfort others who are going through similar afflictions. You're not the only one going through what you are going through. Now Ephesians starts to come to a close and there's some final words to the churches reading this letter and also some final prayers for them. Look with me at verse 21 and 22. The word of God says, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. At the risk of making too much of this, I want to point out that Paul was concerned that the churches know about his circumstances. That seems very countercultural for us today. I don't want people 
knowing my business. But this is very Christian. We are to make known our circumstances. Maybe not to everybody, but at least to others who can faithfully walk alongside us in prayer through them. The apostle ends with two prayers. The first is found in verse 23. He says, peace be to the brethren. This is how he began the letter, grace and peace. Now at the end, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, throughout this letter of Ephesians, we know that this is the peace that we have with God and the peace that we have with one another. This is what is characteristic of God's people, the saints, Christians, the church. Peace, but also love with faith. Jesus demonstrates God's love and gives faith for us to receive that love. He did this on the cross. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in response to the love of God through Jesus Christ, through this gospel, God gives faith to receive it. I say this to children often when explaining the gospel to them. I'll, I'll take a dollar bill or something of value and I'll hold it out to them and I'll say, when does this become yours? Let me ask you that question. If I'm offering this to you, when does it become yours? Is it yours right now? Thank you. You have to take it. You have to receive it. And so it is receiving the love of God. You can reject it or by faith receive it with the Spirit's help and the word. The second prayer begins in verse 24. And this is the end of the book of Ephesians. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Grace is what Paul prays for all who love our Lord. All who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. So that incorruptible love is a bit of a difficulty for interpreting what that means. One of the better suggestions is that it means it's sincere. It's untainted. It's love becoming of saints who are beloved of God. The kind of love the scripture speaks of, we love God because he first loved us. It's God's incorruptible love. And it is a love that acts with all prayer.